And so what we're talking about this evening is exactly what that family went through in the last 24, 36, 72 hours. And so we'll be focusing on some of that this evening. If you're visiting with us, this isn't the way we normally do our church service. We usually do a lot more singing, and then we have a Bible study. Tonight we're going to do something different in conjunction to a study that we've been doing in the Sunday school hour for three weeks. We'll continue it into Wednesday night, and it's dealing with the inevitable, helping people to prepare for a family death, whether it be their own or somebody in the family unit, how to deal with that issues of, okay, somebody's in a weakened state. What do we do? When do we, when do we consider drawing off the life support? What do we do in preparation for that time? Now, in that, with that in mind, before I dismiss, let me just mention this or I'll forget. Several of you have asked, have we run out of the papers? The answer is yes. We have to print a number more. It was great. Several said, well, I took some extra copies for my parents. That was our intent. What we're going to do is we're going to republish a bunch. We're going to put them in a bound notebook. That might make it easier. As well, if you would like an electronic copy, that might even be better for you to get an electronic copy. It's easier to update that and keep it in your computer or do it on your own. Then just send an email to the church requesting uh, the materials in a, in a uh, uh, document copy and we'll get that to you. As we're trying to make this as, as satisfactory and easy for you to be able to handle those things. Kids, we're going to see you later uh, after you get done with junior church and we're done here. So young people, those who are third grade and below, you're headed out that way. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, you're headed out the back door and you're headed over to the old hall where you typically do Calvary Club verses, and you're headed off in those directions. While we're just talking here for a couple of minutes, I've asked several individuals to help us with a panel discussion. Those people are making their way up, whether you come that hallway and come across the platform or work your way here just coming up and getting a seat, please feel free to do that. I'm asking the rest of us to take our Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians to get a format here for this evening. In 2 Corinthians... We have in the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think a key verse to help us out in this area of talking about and dealing with the difficulties that people are going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, join me and just follow along. We're down to verse 3. Feel free to come and grab a seat, please. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may able to be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be of comfort, uh, be, we, whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you shall be of the consolation. The passage is a pivotal passage talking about how we should be handling difficulties and the reason why God allows us to have trials. And we're talking about the severest of trials, the death in the family. But uh, the point is God allows us sometimes to have that so we can minister to other people. My goal and thought for doing this and is... Um, is not to make people uncomfortable and nervous. My goal and thought is to help one another. And sometimes it is easier if you minister to one another and I get out of the way in the sense of instead of just preaching, you have an opportunity to hear from some people who have gone through. Now, these aren't the only individuals in our church who have gone through some difficulties with the death of a loved one. There's a number of folk who are here in the auditorium that uh, have gone through, and there's no re rhyme or reason uh, as far as selecting. There was uh, just choice of who was the closest one 
when I was thinking of it in the foyer, and uh, a number of folks said, I can't do this because it would be too difficult, and I understand and appreciate that. And for some, they said, let me think about it, pray about it, and some said yes, some said after they thought about it, yes, they would be able to do it. Others, I've asked some others who are sitting here towards the front, that if they have contributions, feel free to answer if it is something that's not stated that can contribute. Here's my goal. Here's where I want to go. I want to be able to take their experience of consolation by God. Let that be something that you can mark in your mind, mark in your heart, that you can say, okay, here's, here's some things that they said were good for ministering to them when they went through difficulties, they and their family. Here's something that we should keep in mind. And our goal is, again, being able to know how to minister wisely to different folk. Um, I'm going to assume that everybody knows everybody. I'm going to give you a couple warnings, and that is as you move this mic around and that mic around, now you have cups of water in front of you, which means don't spill them or it's going to be more difficulty for the individual. So you may want to move that however you want. I'm going to ask those of you on the panel that you keep your answers within a minute or so. Um, that's the way we can get in the questions. If I say a minute, that means you're going to take two or three. And so uh, if you're like me, you'll take five or ten. But um, that way we'll keep things moving. And the papers that they have in front of them are the questions. So yes, I did what the news company did with some of the politicians. I gave them the questions ahead of time so that they could think it through and get some thoughts. And so I'm going to start off. We're going to just go and, and I'm going to just bring everybody up to speed where we're at. Claude passed away about a year ago now. Uh, okay, we're going to need these microphones, so feel free to use them. He passed away last summer, right about? Yes, July 30th. Okay, and Claude passed away of a sudden illness. He had heart issues, but he died suddenly, uh, unexpectedly. Okay, mm-hmm. your daughter, it was Labor Day weekend yes. this past year that Allie had died in a car accident. Um, not immediately, but you had to go to the hospital, as you shared with us last Sunday, that after the car accident, you had to go there and determine to discontinue any type of ongoing treatment and let her pass. Rich had passed away. Barb, I don't remember. It seems like yesterday. Four years. Still seems like yesterday. Rich had cancer that he went through for... 13 months. 13 months. Okay. And then he passed away. Your mom was a sudden situation. Uh, Eunice Eisenhower uh, passed away and uh, she had had some health things but nothing that would have expected. Okay. And she passed away. When was it, Brad? 2010. Wow. Wow. Okay, Ralph was, uh, he had suffered a stroke and then he was in a wheelchair. Joanne made a comment that she wanted me to just share. Uh, and I want to start off with that. She said, do you want, do you want to share it? What you wrote here. Yeah. This will break the ice of your nervousness. Okay. Um, no, I just want to thank everybody who was here at the time when my husband was alive and um, he had a stroke and was disabled for 12 years. Most, most of that was in a wheelchair, but I really thank all the people in the church family because you were all so very kind to him, and it meant so much uh, just to come up and recognize him when you're talking with me. Um, any of you shook hands with him, gave him a kiss, and he loved everybody here. So I thank you for that. I forgot to bring the boxes and boxes of tissues. Okay, we should get that. That would be helpful. You made a comment that just shaking hands, and your, your note that you said that this is sometimes, I think this is very important, that people with disabilities are left out yeah. and how important it is that we don't ignore those individuals. Yeah. It's, that's close to what we're talking about, but it's helpful. How long ago did it, was it that Ralph passed? Oh, March 12th. March 12th of? March 4th of 2012. 2012, 2012. 
Jan, Ken had an illness. His was... 20 years. <laughs> his, his illness was 20 his years. His cancer was for 20 years. He died in uh, December the 12th, 2011. Uh, he was in stage four the whole time. Uh, you'd never know it to see him. He uh, kept busy, kept working until he just couldn't go anymore, and that was the end. Yeah. Linda, I'm not, I'm, again, my memory is so bad. Jim's passing was um, sudden. It was December of 2010 at Christmas time. Yeah, and yeah. his was, he got, a, he got sick and ended he, up in the hospital. He developed a virulent, as the doctors called it, a virulent strain of pneumonia. And the infection went through his body very quickly, and they could not get ahead of it, and he passed away. Uh, Linda's case was one of those cases where the family had to determine, as you talked about last week, when do you stop doing active treatment and make a decision. Let's talk about, okay, Barbara, let's, let's let you have Mike. Let me see if I can give this to you, because you had, you had an extended illness as well as a couple others. One of the questions that we asked is, what were some of the most trying parts of dealing with an extended illness? Okay. Um, a lingering terminal illness is not just a physical trial. It impacts every area of your life, emotionally, spiritually, financially. It affects your marriage, your family relationships. It's a trial for the person with the illness and also for those caring for them and living with them. Um, the ways it affects your marriage, um, you have to judge whether they're having a good day and whether you need to take charge that day. There comes a point um, where you have to start making decisions for them, and that's very difficult. Um, they're not allowed to drive sometimes. In my case, that involved conflict, taking the car keys. Um, there's a struggle to be thankful for each day and for in each situation rather than feeling sorry for yourself. Um, and trying to judge all the extras that need to juggle all the extras that need done, running to the doctor appointments and trying to keep up with your regular responsibilities. For us, it seemed like there was a cycle of fear and anxiety and then hope. Um, the treatments would seem to be working and then um, it gave us hope that Rich's cancer would be beaten. And then there was tests showing that the cancer was advancing. And this was a cycle for the um, about nine months until um, we knew that the cancer was winning. Um, there comes a time where you have to pursue the decision not to pursue any more treatments. And then comes the day where you hear the word hospice. And, and I remember my horror that day, thinking hospice, that, that makes it so certain. Um, you know that then, from then on, that the cancer is just consuming your body. And it's just a matter of time that, um, until you know that, that that day will come. So it's very... Jan, Joanne, you both dealt with a lingering illness. Anything you would like to add to that idea of the trying parts of dealing with it? Jan Alquist or Joanne? Either one of you. Either, that's fine. Either one of you, you've dealt with lingering illness. That first question that... Um, the worst part of it was uh, in 91, he had a tumor on his kidney the size of a football. So when he removed that, they watched him every three months. They took CAT scans and finally in 95, it showed up with um, six tumors in each lung, three in the abdomen, and that's where they remained for the 20 years that he had it. Um, we went through all kinds of treatments, but nothing seemed to really stop it. It would stop it, but it wouldn't take it away. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there was nothing else they could do. And he just went, they just kept watching to see if it was going to go to the bones or the brain. And that's where it ended up in the bones and the brain. And that's what took them. Mm -hmm. 
as far as the difficult times for the you difficult guys? was not knowing when the next shoe was going to drop because they told him he would probably be going in 207 but he had a different idea uh, they couldn't understand what kept him going what kept him alive Kenny because was a he stubborn was so guy. full of it and yeah. he, he said, because I know who's in control, and yeah. it's not you yeah. or I, it's the one up there, and he's the one, it's his sure. problem, not mine. Sure. Ladies, if you, any of you have something to add, feel free. We have a microphone, we'll add that to you, some of you. Um, we're going we're gonna to stay with those who have the lingering illness. The way that others within your family, nearby, that helped you out? In the beginning... Um, Really, nobody. I mean, it was, I mean, everybody was concerned, but it was he and I that dealt with all the hospital trips and the treatments and the x rays and the CAT scan. Um, well, I guess we both just kept going because we knew mm -hmm. that we didn't have control of it. Yeah, Joanne, did you, your support factor, your support group, you had to work during this whole time of his illness, too. You were working full time. Um, yeah, the hardest thing for me was um, my husband had the stroke, and for 12 years he was basically um, wheelchair-bound, and he needed 24-hour care. And he also had dementia, um, and that was my hardest thing because I can laugh at it now, but I would call every other girl's name when he talked to me sometimes. He, he couldn't remember my name, and it, it was so hard then. Mm. at first when it happened, um, but then you just had to laugh with it because a person with dementia, you just have no other way to look at it. So um, that was basically mm. it. And it was hard because I worked. Yeah. I worked and I had to have a caretaker in. I worked third shift actually, so I could be with them during the day, sleep when he did. And um, it was just something I had to do, and I had many people offer to give me a break, but I really did not want a break. I wanted to be there with him at all times, so, and I, I, I knew that he felt more comfortable if I was there with him, so. Barb, um, when you were in these, the different stages of this, is there anything you did as a family as you're, you're approaching the last days? Was there anything that you were able to do that you look back and say this was helpful, ministering, singing, doing, recollecting. I don't know what Rich's status of mind at that time. Um, we need the microphone, please. The last Father's Day, the kids just did a wonderful job of making him feel loved and special. Um, they made a video for him. We had a family gathering. We took what we knew were going to be our last family pictures. And I remember the day ended, and he just felt so blessed and said it was a good day. Mm. Mm. What was there from individuals that, that they said to you that was very, very helpful to you during this period of the... What individuals said? Anything that people said or did for any, all, any one of you ladies. Oh, okay. um, when people... Pe people so often say, let me know if there's anything that I can do, which is a lovely statement to say. But we were very blessed by the people who were very specific. Um, you know, I have a free evening next week. Could I come and do your mowing? Could I bring a meal um, for you next week while you're going through treatments? It, for me, it's really hard to, to just call somebody who said, let me know if I can do anything. It's not because I'm 
proud, but I, I just realize people are very busy. So if you could say something specific, that is very, very helpful. Hmm. Anything additional to that, ladies? Anything additional that people said or did that was helpful during the illness time? Either one. Um, go ahead. No, I just uh, knew that so many were praying for me because it was only through God's grace that I was able to make it through those 12 years, and I just thank everybody who was faithful in praying. Uh, family was important. Uh, they were there when I needed them. Um, my daughter was there all the time. Um, they didn't realize how bad he was until, until they finally saw towards the end that it was bad. And um, then they realized what I had been going through and what he had been going through mostly. But uh, then they were helpful, and I had them to come whenever I needed them. When I'd call them, they would be there. Good. That Good. was helpful. Let's shift gears for some of you others here. Linda, you want to grab the microphone? Um, a sudden situation. Sudden, one of the questions I asked, what, <laughs> this is everything. What were some of the most difficult moments? I guess everything that happened. Yeah. Uh, I think definitely the most difficult thing was having to take him off life support. Uh, or pulling the plug, as you say. Um, it's just very hard. Even though you know you really don't have much of a choice at that time, it's still so hard because you, th you feel like you're almost playing God. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, and it's a decision the immediate family must make, so I, I would advise people not to visit at that time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, it's a decision for the family. And Pastor and Deb were extremely helpful uh, at that time. But, uh, and another thing, uh, I appreciated people respecting our decision. I had one or two people say to me, Linda, how could you have done that? Mm. <laughs> what if God had a miracle for him down the line? So... That was not helpful at all because, yeah, because I started second-guessing myself then. And so it's best to have respect for the decision that you made. Sure. Mm -hmm. Brad, the microphone's coming your direction. Your family found out mom collapsed early in the morning, taken to the hospital, and she never did respond uh, where you guys could talk to her during those few days. Difficult moments. Uh, I think that, well, obviously just the event itself and then the grim report from the doctor when we were at the hospital. I think we just weren't prepared for the uh, finality of his decision and or his, his uh, diagnosis and, and the statements he made and that he, he was surprised that she'd even made it to that point. So that was difficult. Um, and, and being bedside, knowing that, that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, not being able to have another conversation. What was helpful? What was helpful in the sense of others? Um, and what was helpful by it? Was there others that rallied? I know your family rallied. Sure, family rallied. Uh, church family rallied, absolutely. Uh, Mom was in the hospital for three days. They had tried a, a treatment, experimental treatment of sorts. Uh, but once the decision was made, uh, we had made the decision to uh, to take her off the support. But uh, 
uh, it seemed like whenever, as long as we were at the hospital, somebody was there. Somebody would stop by just for even a few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the pastoral staff, it seems like one of them was always in the room with us, uh, just, just talking, not even really about that situation, but just talking about, about life, what's going on otherwise. Not so not that we're not sitting there dwelling on the current situation. Uh, and just how people help, chipped in and helped out in different ways, whether it was uh, helping uh, my sister watching kids, uh, providing meals at times, uh, and just, just knowing that there were people praying for us and concerned and even communicating via, via text or, or just notes. Okay. We're jumping down towards that end. Uh, Chris and Linda, whoever's going to take this one. Difficult moment. Chris, you alluded to it last week. You're at the hospital, Hershey Medical Center. Um, anniversary date of when Allie came to your, to your home, 20 years to the date that you're standing by her bedside now and saying goodbye to her. Um, the moments you're meeting with the doctor, those moments afterwards, helpful ministries that people did for you. Oh. <laughs> Which of those questions do you want first? <laughs> um, the most difficult thing when I look back is um, we had talked to her that day. It was Labor Day. She was excited about a picnic, and there we were standing um, in ICU, and she's connected to all these machines. Um, the doctors are very gracious and um, allowed us to ask questions. And we asked them in different ways, and they explained them in different ways. They were very gracious about that. But it was difficult to hear um, about the accident. Um, she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And that, for a long time, that bothered me. And at night, I would wake up visualizing it, um, trying to imagine what she went through. And until we got the report from the state troopers, I could read that a little bit and felt that I knew enough to put that to rest. That was difficult, but um, as far as helpful, um, the meals were encouraging because you're really not hungry and you really don't want to think about food, but you need to eat. And that was really a blessing when they would show up. Um, ladies in the church went with me to clean Allie's apartment out because she died on the 6th and um, her rent was only paid till the 30th. So we had to sort and clean out a two-bedroom apartment, and, and they helped. Um, um, the other thing were people told us um, memories, sweet things they had remembered about her. And even one of our missionaries at this last conference came up and said, I've been thinking about this. You may not know that. And that was really encouraging, especially since her last years were not spent in church. So that was really encouraging. And even on Mother's Day a month ago, Somebody sent me a card that reminded me that they were praying for us. Hmm. That was helpful. Chris, are you going to add anything, or is that her question that you said? Uh, I don't know what category we're at. Well, I'll come back to you. Let me pass this on to all the way down to Gail, because we're going to come back and we'll target some things. Gail, you didn't have any time. Okay. Claude, no, I mean with Claude. He was gone. Um. Okay. Immediately after realizing my husband passed away, there was an overwhelming sense of sadness, overwhelming sense of loneliness. And to realize, and you always know we don't have time. 
we, we cannot count on time. But to think and realize and see, in a moment's time, your life has changed forever. Not only mine, but my, my girls. And then to see To see Dominique, who found her father, here at church, because we were cleaning, she, she was close to getting into a shock. Mm -hmm. She was shaking. She, was, she couldn't breathe. And here I am thinking, I, my husband just passed away, and now I have to take my daughter to the hospital and see if she will live. So all that was in my head. And then I got, oh, Danielle was on a mission trip to Portugal. Coming home, it, this happened on a Saturday night. Coming home Sunday afternoon and needing desperately to get her to know what happened. And by, by God's grace, from the time... Dominique found Claude to the time the paramedics came. Uh, Joe Marks was here, and Pastor and Deb took him out for dinner, and they were coming in, and Pastor opened the door for the paramedics. And Deb and Pastor stayed with Dominique and I. And I just thank God for that. I thank God for that, because... <laughs> I get very nervous, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't quite handling it right there for a while. So um, you were handling it fine. <laughs> it was a shock. Yes. Um, then another thought came through my mind was, I never wanted this to happen to my children, but I found my father who died of a heart attack at age 16. So I knew exactly what Dominic was going through. And the emotions and the, the sadness of it all. And uh, then you go into a fog. What, what funeral home? What to do next? Oh, got to call relatives. Oh, no. Do I have all the numbers? Oh, well, Danielle, Dominic can help me with that. So, and then we had help there. You're, you're, you're introducing a question I wanted, before you go any further, I want to bring that question up. Okay. okay. I want to talk about that for a few moments. Okay. I want to talk about this, um, the initial, your family has just suffered a loss. What were some of the initial decisions and how difficult were those situations? Barbara, let's come back to you for a second. Okay. Um, you had a little bit of time thinking and planning, but all of a sudden you're at the reality. We were actually able to um, go to the funeral home together um, about four months before he passed away because we knew it was inevitable. Um, it, was a, it was a day that I dreaded and cried about, but when we got there, it was kind of like shopping for a piece of furniture together, comparing the styles and the prices, and God blessed that it was, it was doable. Um, so Rich was able to plan out most of the um, things for his memorial service. He chose his own casket. He made all the decisions, which took an incredible amount of weight off of the rest of us. 
That was helpful to you? Oh, extremely helpful. Made it much easier? Okay. Linda, you didn't have that chance unless you did some pre-planning. Um, those initial moments, days, the weight of decisions, did you have a lot or some things pre-planned? We actually had pretty much pre-planned thanks to your series. <laughs> you had done this series on death and dying a number of times before, and uh, we took it to heart and, and planned some of that stuff. So a lot of the decisions were made. I knew basically what he would want. Um, what I had trouble with initially <laughs> was uh, my mind would race too far in the future. I couldn't keep focused. I kept thinking, okay, am I going to be able to stay in my house? Am I going to make it mm. financially? Am I going to, who's going to cut my lawn? And this was in the middle of December. And, and just things like that. And, uh, mm. You know, I just, I, I raced ahead too far. <laughs> did you guys, did, did you as a group, did you find yourselves in those first few days, was it tough to focus? Okay. To me, was it hard to make decisions? Still is? Like, go ahead. He's okay. He'll, he'll okay. catch up to you. Another advantage of having a lingering illness is um, Rich and I had opportunity to talk about what I should do, and he had advised me to sell the house that we lived in then and to get something smaller because I just financially wasn't going to be able to stay where we had lived for many years. So um, when people would question in the days ahead what I was doing or was I acting too fast, no, I had had months to think about this, and, and my husband had told me, this is what you should do. So I, I was able to go ahead um, with much less hesitation than had the situation been different. You, Ferraris, you didn't have any, any option. You guys are still picking up pieces because things were were not planned. The, the hardest, um, I'll give the mic to you in a second. I think the toughest decisions that come so fast after a sudden accident like Allie's, we just stood in the room and waited till her body shut down and all the machines stopped. And then you're ushered into a room, um, like a waiting area, and Pastor showed up very timely, and this is all in the middle of the night. Then um, a man comes out, Decedent mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. Decedent care. He's kind of like a social worker, I guess. From the hospital. From the hospital. From the hospital yes. And that's when the questions start. But your mind is still back in that room, and you're still thinking about those machines, and all these questions are coming at you. And that um, became overwhelming sometimes when they explain, well, her driver's license says she's an organ donor. What about this? And what about that? And where do you want her body sent? And are you going to cremate her? Because if you send her body for um, organ donation, they'll have to know whether you're going to cremate her or do a viewing. So even some of those decisions had to be right then. We couldn't wait till the funeral. Did you want to add anything on there, Chris? Um, yeah, you said about the where to... Okay, like for us, you know, you know, any kind of a situation like where it's not, um, you know, a sudden, as far as the funeral home, we pretty much, you know, we watched Kramer and Lumby built along 72, and I figured that's what we're going to do. Um, those, those first night things, you know, are, they just go like that very quickly. Um, there's a lot of there were a lot of subsequent decisions 
you know, that come into play. But um, I think I'll just let it go with that for now. Let me, uh, Gail, let's pick up there, then we'll come back and jump to Brad. Um, okay. General question here. We're talking about funerals, services, things like that. You look back and say, okay, this is what we planned, and this was, this was very, very helpful for us as a family mm-hmm. in those first few days. Anything in particular? Um, as far as arranging the memorial service, um, when Danielle came home Sunday afternoon, we sat down with her and told her and everything. And then right away, they decided, can we plan the service? I couldn't do it. Um, two, fr- two of their friends came over for days, going through pictures, going and talking with the girls and everything. I was in the background, in a fog. I know I'm living but I can't remember everything. I can't remember different points of what happened here. Um, And (laughs) it was like they did the pictures, they did the songs, they did the agenda. They even made up the brochure of Claude. And, um, And then the DVD, that was from Mr. Kramer but we had a certain amount of time to get all the pictures organized. Again, I couldn't do it, and I was finding my girls and their friends crying over the pictures they were picking out. The first time I ever saw the DVD was when we were here for the service. That was overwhelming for me, yeah. Um, Helpfulness? You have to have someone with you to say, it's okay to cry. Because I wasn't crying. I was numb. Um, The meals were good, but please, people, understand, when you're in a crisis like this, you don't want to eat. So please make the portions small. And please make... Instead of always dinners, make a breakfast, make a lunch. It doesn't have to be fancy, but not the big stuff, okay? Um, And then personally, allow yourself to sit. Excuse yourself from the busyness of everything, people coming in, everything. Um, Take a nap. Be by yourself. Take time. And cry. Linda, you, she said something, and did you want to add to something that was being said, Linda? No, this Linda right here, Kircher. Okay. Um, I was, she was commenting about, um, you know, with the funeral service and some of the, the different emotions that are going through. Do you remember the service? Um, the thing that was the most helpful to me was people's presence. That was overwhelmingly comforting to my family, to see all the people here. There's a verse in Job, I think it's at the end of chapter 2, where it says his three friends came and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and they spake not a word because they saw his grief Mm -hmm. was very great. And so I 
appreciated when people were just there, gave me a hug, handed me a meal. <laughs> I know I'm going to sound blasphemous, <laughs> but I just buried my husband. I don't need to hear. Now remember, Linda, God is always good, and all things work together for good. I know that verse in my head 110%. But my heart isn't there at that moment. So maybe the neat little platitudes and stuff mm -hmm. aren't appropriate right away. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you, let me ask you as a group. Um, I've heard a variety of opinions that some have said when people come up and say, I'm praying for you. Is that trite? Is that helpful? <coughs> Was it helpful? Yeah. Especially in this church, because when people say, I'm going to pray for you, they are going to pray for you. Okay. Brad, let's uh, jump there in the middle, okay? Your family's gathered. It's a sudden situation. How impacting was it for people who showed up in their busyness to come to a, to a service? Was that helpful for you guys? Oh, absolutely. And, at, I mean, at that time, if you remember, I think during that week we had three three huge snowstorms and even trying to fit fit that service into a schedule uh, we wanted to try and have it in the evening so that people uh, that my mom would have known at work or just from from prior jobs to allow people to come that they didn't have to take off work uh, but then of course the weather conditions made it made it a little more difficult as well but yeah the, the response to the number of people was yeah an incredible encouragement in, in seeing that and uh, yeah, so I'll leave it. Hmm. Um, for all of you, just a couple of... Who ended up afterwards? We're talking the next few days. Support group. Family? Was there other... Some of you said... Lindy, you said... All right, down this, Linda, down here. You said some of the ladies helping to go and clean out Allie's home. That was helpful. Barb, um, anything from, from outside your immediate family, people afterwards that was helpful to you? I was especially blessed by other widows because I knew that they understood. Um, so that meant a lot to me um, to have their encouragement and support. Ultimately, I think that um, the cards are going to stop and people's, people are going to get back to thinking about their own little lives. And, and you have to be... Um, you have to be responsible for your own survival and your own, you know, reestablishing joy in your life. And, and I found that um, uh, reading the Psalms, um, reading hymns, which many of were written by people that have gone through trials. Mm. Yeah. I had done a journal while Rich was sick that I could look back in and see how God had provided for us and taking care of our needs, which was greatly encouraging to my heart. If he took care of us during those 13 months, he's going to take care of me now. Um, and then just intentionally trying to be thankful. So I think what other people do is very important, but I also think it's important that you, you as quickly as possible take responsibility for your own, own joy and own thankful spirit. I want to be gracious, but there's a, there's a reality that I've been really wanting to express. Um, 
Allison's death was officially on a Tuesday, and so we had um, the service was a Friday because there was a I believe there was a wedding here the following Saturday, so we had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe part of Friday to pull some things together, but not really. Um, I think we the one thing I'm trying to follow up on is we were talking about what was helpful and people supporting the all right I just need to say this the family that's trying to deal the family that is dealing with the death I hate to say does not need it is not helpful to have a lot of visits before the funeral that may sound. I'm trying not to be. Well, let me let me see if I can put it. Yeah, no, no. Let me see if I can put it in perspective. I think, if I'm not mistaken, then we we recommend this that don't come to church until after you get through the funeral, mm-hmm. um, just because that that grief that type thing those initial days. And I think that's I want the to pull case. Together something. Yeah, you know, in Gail most said. people, uh, the memorial video, mm-hmm. photographs, arrangements mm-hmm. dealing with the. Mm-hmm. The funeral director. What the family needs to do prior to the funeral is take care of business. It is extre- It was. I'll say. I'll say. It was extremely difficult in many, many cases for us having to. And here's what's hard. And this is why I'm trying to be gracious. You know, you look across this audience. We have wonderful relationships here. And how do you say, it's difficult to not say, come on in. We have a couple minutes, but then it gets difficult when you have to say, I'm sorry, we really need to finish these photographs because we literally had to have them back to him. I think it was Wednesday. And we had, you know, Allison died on a Tuesday. So, I mean, it was... Very awkward for me sometimes to not. I mean, but it, I mean, I said it. I said, "Look, I'm. T- I don't want to be unappreciative, but people understand. People yeah. understand, and I don't think you need to um, worry about being misunderstood. Yeah. People understand. Part self- of the difference. Okay, it, let, let me throw this. Part of the difference in some of you in this panel is part of you had the opportunity to prepare ahead of time. Part of you didn't. Okay, if you have the opportunity to prepare ahead of time. It is immensely helpful to the people who have to make the decisions because those of you making funeral decisions and having to go to the funeral home, having to figure flowers, it is, it, it, I tried to allude that to this morning, it is just, you're making decisions but you're in a fog. It is extremely difficult. The idea of pre-planning is, is really, 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 really helpful. To help. Now, again, that doesn't always happen because of circumstances. Because if you don't pre-plan, who ends up with the situation? Yeah, and it's just more difficult. Um, let, let me, uh, let me uh, just jump. Is it difficult the days ahead afterwards? Do you still have a lot of stuff that has to be dealt with in the weeks, the days that follow? Jan, did you have a lot of stuff afterwards? Or was pr- things pretty much taken care of? No, because we had... Hold the mic so we have a... Um, 
No, because we had already decided okay. with... Uh, and you had, you had an extended period of time to prepare. Well, we already decided what we were yeah. going to do. Yeah. Joanne, the, the following, getting things taken care of. You had paperwork, social securities. Yeah, I did have a lot. Um, but I, the funeral home that I dealt with, I can't think of the name of it right now, Palmera, but yeah. they were so very helpful. Yeah. Um, he basically took over everything for me. I gave him whatever papers I mm -hmm. had to, and he saw that they got where they were mm -hmm. supposed to get. But even though my husband was um, disabled for 12 years, I did not plan anything. It just, I don't know why to this day, I just pushed it off like he was gonna be there forever. And I just never planned anything. Hmm. Hmm. Paperwork, did you, this Linda on this end, lots of stuff to deal with afterwards or was everything? Oh, yes. We, there's a lot of paperwork to be taken care of, but uh, fortunately, I knew where everything was, and I knew basically what to do. It was just a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I had trouble dealing with, and I think most of my fellow widows and widowers can say the same thing, was the loneliness. That, I don't know what anybody can do to help that. It's just overwhelming at times, especially in the dead of winter on those long winter nights because you don't feel like picking yourself up and going somewhere and it's just that was really the toughest thing for me <laughs> and still yeah you just miss them so much and there's <laughs> yeah Barb had a had a really good observations moments ago about you know ownership of having to just address and say part of this getting over and dealing with it any, let, let me, I'm, I'm wanting, we have communion, so this is really important. People can have an opportunity. Let's just go to any thoughts that you'd say, here was something re really helpful. If we had to do it over or this is what we did, that was really helpful. Let's just work our way down, okay? Anything in particular that you would advise? Um, I respect those people who, who feel the need to have a, a public viewing I, I respect that. But what was really helpful for our family was we had the burial before the memorial service. And that was very helpful because I could appreciate the memorial service more. I wasn't sitting here thinking, oh, we got to bury him yet. You can, know? I, can I add to that? Mm -hmm. um, it is growing in our community, in our area. This is the trend that is happening for services, that it's starting to escalate. Do the burial, do that early in the day. You can't do burials in the evening. Uh, but there's a trend that says do the family time early and then do a memorial service in the evening. It's more um, um, convenient for people to come in the evening. And the funeral homes that I met with this week, both of them said the amount of people headed that direction and are finding it very helpful is starting to go like this. That's what we did with your family, I remember. Um, is, uh, and it makes sense to me that there's, that's very helpful. Yes, ma'am. Yes, that was very helpful to us, too, because we had the uh, just family viewing and then right to the Indian Town Gap and from there to here for memorial service. It wasn't dragged on. Um, like they did 
over my, where I come from, it's like two, three days, and that's very difficult. That's mm -hmm. very difficult to mm -hmm. handle. Any, anything you'd say as we keep on going? Just here's something just keep in mind to help out ministering or helpful. Um, something that was helpful was knowing that the people prayed and also um, for people just to drop off food because I had all my kids came home with the grandchildren, which I was very thankful for, but it was nice that knowing that I didn't, that was just one thing less I had to worry about or even my kids having to make. So it was nice that somebody just dropped off like a platter of meats and rolls. We didn't have to worry about making anything. Yeah. Uh, I think for us it was helpful that not one person was making all of the decisions. There really wasn't any pre-planning, but there were, with adult children, there were enough people around to assist mm. Dad in making decisions and helping him maneuver through the process of getting things mainly in his name. And uh, so that's, that's helpful uh, if adult children can be helpful in that way. Um, and I know one thing is uh, I know the people, my sisters, well, the family loves when uh, people will just mention my mom. Mm -hmm. Do you still, do you folk, is it good to still hear talk about the individual? So that it comes up. Do you ever find that people don't want to mention their name and it's almost like they're non-existent? Yeah. If I may comment to that, um, the first Christmas I felt like there was this giant hole beside me and nobody was seeing it but me. Um, I think people didn't mention Rich's name because they thought it would make me cry. I didn't care. I wanted people to be missing him mm -hmm. along with me. Yeah. And one of the nicest things that anybody said that first Christmas was, Rich was a special guy, and I want you to know I'm missing him too. That meant everything to me, just a simple little comment. But to not mention the person, just it makes you feel mm -hmm. very much alone. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the funeral service, um, you had advised us, as well as Mr. Lam at the funeral home, not to have a viewing if we were concerned about people hearing the gospel. And so we did not do the viewing, and then, um, you know, everybody that comes for the service then does get to hear the gospel. And appreciate so much the church's ministry in doing those cake receptions so that people have time to fellowship. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. I've always heard it said, you don't know any grief until you bury your child. And um, I understand that now. Um, let me encourage you as young people, all of you sitting here, you know, you're young and you think you've got years ahead of you. But even if you just have a conversation with your parents, let them know your favorite hymns, um, talk about cremation, talk about a viewing, talk about a service, um, it would be really helpful. Because when you're in the um, moment and you're trying to make decisions in shock and you don't have any of that information, um, but you have a great pastor who leads you and says, here's what we need to do. Um, for those of you who weren't there, Allison's funeral had over 400 mm -hmm. people come. Half were probably unsaved. And eight people made decisions for Christ. But the entire service was focused on the gospel in spite of her life, and even though in her life the Lord wasn't glorified, it was, he was in the service. And that's been the blessing, and that's been very exciting to hold on to. There were so many uniques, uniquenesses 
to our situation. It's, that's why it was so difficult for me because there's a lot of very good insights, but it's just very unique. I'll, I'll, I'll do two things. Um, Allison was in an auto accident. So if you have an auto involved, that vehicle is towed somewhere. So in the, the last, in those, those couple days you have before the funeral, one of the things is where's the vehicle to get her personal effects? Um, and then on a, I'll say a bright note for survivors, map out your year of firsts. Your first birthday, your first Mother Day, holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving. We will, we have two more, no, three more firsts. No, no, we have one more first, and that's Labor Day. And that's the anniversary. Father's Day, too. Chris is right. The first year of the first is difficult. Um, Difficult because, for me, things happen here. To come back and work was hard. Um, Mission conference was extremely hard. Because Claude and I, we love missions. We love the conference. We love our missionaries. And he would always go off and gab. And I'd go off and kind of follow him and do this and that. But I was alone. The first of going to a luncheon, he would always, he always seemed to go faster walking over to the family center than me. And he would have food, and he would be gabbing with people. I, I had a moment where I stood on the steps, and I said, Lord, I don't know if I, need, I can do this or not. And then I took my first step, and I did it. Christmas, his birthday's coming up. Father's Day's coming up. The anniversary's coming up. All the firsts. Mm-hmm. But I look at the panel here, and I look at some of you people that aren't up here, but we do know some of your, your trials. Grieving, to me, is different levels, different times. You can, you can ascent in your flashback. Um, Someone saying, oh, I I miss Claude. Tears come. We sing a song here. Tears come. It's always under the surface. Always under the surface. Did we we ruin songs? Songs that were in the funeral services, do they... Do you sing them okay? Yeah. I mean, are they there? Two, Two songs that really helped me, well, overwhelmed me, was in the beginning when we had O Canada. Well, nobody and, knows and that you one. People, That's... <laughs> you, you, you dear souls stood up and you were honoring Claude. Yeah. And it was so wonderful. And then when Jeff, Jeff sang, it is not death to die. It's a wonderful song. Sure. We need to sing it even sure. more. Um, I, we need to stop. Pause the kids, please. We uh, need to get them over. Did, did the event, we'll close with this, and not, not to just give me nod of assent, did it change your view of heaven? Yes. How so? Just real quickly. 
Okay. How did, how did it change your view of heaven? You said, oh, yes, you started, you, you spoke up real loud, okay? Oh, it's much more real, and I think it just solidifies your faith. It just strengthens it. <laughs> I think because now I know heaven is real, and that's where Jesus is, and that's where Kenny is. And it made me realize that it's not the end, maybe here on earth, but there is another time that I'll see him. Yeah, did uh, heaven, heaven make it more anxious knowing somebody's there? It's all because of this. It's all because of communion. Let's sing about heaven. Let's sing about what the Lord has done. Let's celebrate the future that we have with Jesus Christ because of what he has done. And let's go into communion with thanksgiving for his grace, his goodness. Thank you so very much for all your participation. Appreciate that. If you want to get your seats to join us with communion, let's sing through a couple different stanzas of songs and get into our worship time of communion.